morning. Welcome to Cross Point. If you are visiting with us, we're glad you're here. Uh, we're thankful to get the opportunity to get to know you better. There is a card, and uh, should be a card in the seat back in front of you. And if you'll fill that out and put that when the offering is passed later, we would love to for an opportunity to get to know you better. Um, thank you for, for being here this morning. If you got the email from Ben this week, you know we're going to be in a, uh, a series of series coming up in the next couple months. The next three Sundays, we're going to be talking about marriage. And I am no marriage expert. I am no therapist. I'm a preacher. So there is a real burden on my heart today that we would hear what the Word has to say and that we gain a perspective on marriage in the next three weeks and not look to these sermons or look to me to fix anything. Uh, hopefully the fruit of what we expose will make us more faithful. And so that is my prayer for the next uh, three weeks. Um, I want us to pray before we get started. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 7 for most of the morning. 1 Corinthians 7. So if you want to turn there, and then we'll pray before we get started. And I uh, would love for you to pray for me that I would be clear in exposing this passage. Father, as we come to this time of exposing your word this morning, I want to pray for another church in our area, for C3 and Rowlett, for the elder leadership there, Shane, Daniel, Brian, Nick, and John, that you would keep them and grow them in their faithfulness, and that you would keep them focused on that and not just success, the hard lessons that that we've learned here in the last 12 years. That you're making a people faithful and true and that's what you seek. And that you would bond them together in the unity that you've already established. And that the deacons there would lead well and they would lead with deacons well there. And that the people of C3 Rowlett would be fed well and would be sanctified and be faithful because of the ministry of the word and prayer from those pastors there. We're grateful for the time that we have this morning, and we hope and pray the same things for us, that you would make us more faithful and true because of the word exposed, the ministry of the word and prayer. I'm thankful for the civic leaders you've given us all around us, and that you would continue to turn the hearts of kings to keep this peace, quote-unquote, that we have, so that the gospel would continue to move forward and move out. We're grateful for the gifts that you've given us and the good gift of marriage. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to look primarily at verse 25 through 35 this morning. 25 through 35. Paul is addressing a question that has been put to him from the betrothed or the engaged couples, young engaged couples have asked, you know, what, what do you think about marriage? Should we get married now that this faith has hit us and there's a crisis and there's famine and the economy's bad? What should we do? And this is his answer. The title of this sermon is, Oh, the Humanity. And so I, I think, based on the little bit of chuckling, you, you understand what that phrase means. Maybe you don't know where it came from. I thought it came from Bugs Bunny when Elmer Fudd would fake shoot him and he would fake die and he would get real dramatic 
And his last statement before he hit the ground was, oh, the humanity. So I thought it was a Looney Tunes thing growing up. This real dramatic human experience of being shot by Elmer Fudd, and he hits the ground, and he, it's just a dramatic experience. It's an intense, dramatic experience. But that, that phrase was actually coined by Herb Morrison in uh, 1939. He was a, an American radio reporter best known for his dramatic report of the Hindenburg disaster, a ca catastrophic fire that destroyed the L-7-129 Hindenburg Zeppelin, which is a huge airship that was about to change the face of modern travel. And so there's these grand expectations that this airship could take people from here to Europe and back without having to be on a ship. Modern travel was going to be changed. And so these grand expectations for this huge ship, and it was landing in New Jersey, and he was there reporting it. And it started out as an exciting event with high expectations and dreams of what would be in a transatlantic passenger flight. Morrison coins this phrase. And it's funny, but it's not funny. It's interesting to see how, and if you YouTube it, I was going to show it to you, but it's just hard to hear. But in the first few moments of reporting, this flight's landing in New Jersey, you can hear, I don't know if you can hear somebody grinning on the radio, but you can hear this proud grin on his face that this ship is landing here. Just the way he describes the scene of this majestic airship that's about to land and what it's going to mean for everybody. And he's so proud. His expectations are high. Excitement is high. And then they stopped filming and stopped recording for a few minutes, and then they picked it back up when there was a small gas leak in the Hindenburg. And inside, less than 10 minutes, the Hindenburg blew up, crashed, melted, and done in less than 10 minutes. And so there was this great expectation in his voice, but when he sees it start to go down, listen to what he says. Listen to his, a lot of this is 1939 talk, which I think is cool, but maybe you can get through it and understand the, the drama Oh, it's burst into flames. Get this, Charlie. Get this. Talking to the video guy. It's fire and it's crashing. It's crashing and it's terrible. Oh, my. Get out of the way, everybody, please. It's burning and it's bursting into flames and it's falling. Oh, the mooring mast has fallen. All the folks here will agree this is terrible. This is the worst catastrophe in the whole world. Then he starts this cry talk where he's crying and talking, and it's kind of indecipherable, but he says, oh, it's flames. Oh, it's flames, and it's crashing. It was four or five hundred feet into the sky, and now it's a terrific crash. Ladies and gentlemen, it's smoke and it's flames, and the frame is crashing to the ground. Oh, the humanity. And so there's this realization that what was majestic and what was going to change everything it's vanished, and it's gone. And I wonder if that's not some of the similar feelings those of you who have been married a while have felt when you enter marriage. There's this engagement and this dating process where we have this excitement and we have dreams, we have romantic notions as we enter marriage. Soren Kierkegaard, he, he equates the engagement to marriage 
wedding day event as a costume ball or a masquerade. Everyone's having fun until we take the mask off. <laughs> it's been a party. And then you find out who somebody really is. And so there's this human, intense human experience going on in marriage. And that is what Paul's trying to communicate here in 1 Corinthians 7. Well, these young couples say, hey, should we get married? What is? This is what Paul is saying here. He's going to define for us and help us understand. This is what marriage is. Real talk. And this is what marriage isn't. And that's what I hope we leave with today. That we have a perspective of what marriage is designed for. And we know what it is, and yet we know what it isn't. So let's read and look at verse 25. We're going to read this whole passage, and then we'll go back through and look at some of these verses a little more specifically. Now concerning the betrothed or the engaged, I have no command from the Lord... But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. What he's saying here is, this is not a black and white legalistic command from the Lord. This is not an imperative. The Lord has not spoken here. You've asked for my advice and I'm going to give you my advice. I'm going to capture this for you on what I think. So we've got to be careful. We're not hearing uh, a command from the Lord here. We're hearing Paul's opinion based on what he knows about the kingdom and about what he knows about church planning and what he knows about what marriage is. I want to capture that for you. This is my opinion. This is what marriage is, and this is what it isn't. Verse 26. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have Worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. <laughs> this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as, as if they had no goods. Those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things. How to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit. Not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So what is he getting at here in verse 26? In this present distress... We've already explained what he means in verse 25. This is his opinion in verse 26. I think that in this present distress, what he's most likely talking about there is in Corinth, most likely famine, the economy has tanked, and there's some persecution going on. And it's hard. Living is hard. Living out faith is hard there. And that's what he's talking about. 
specifically to Corinth. But I think it's very easy to lay that over our current situation. Where is the distress? Our faith is beginning to be challenged. A lived-out faith is beginning to be challenged around every corner. And it's subtle, maybe, in some ways. Where a lived-out faith in the workplace or in the court, a lived-out faith in your neighborhood, a lived-out faith in your home, is questioned at every corner. We have the test of riches, trying to raise children and be married in all of this abundance where we need nothing. That's a distress. To have faith in the midst of that, it's a test. And so I think we could easily say, in the midst of this distress, how should we be looking at marriage? What is it and what is it not? Now, he then says, in light of this, someone should remain as they are. And what he means by that is not so much, if you're single, don't ever get married. And if you're married, don't look to be single. What, what he's saying here is the grass is not greener on the other side. Remain as you are. Don't look to marriage as the solution to all of your problems. And don't look to being single as the solution to all your problems. The grass is not greener on the other side. Remain as you are. Don't look to marriage to be the key, to be the something better. If you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we've, we've engaged what is better, this age that we live in, this salvation and communion with a God through the accomplished work of Jesus in this age compared to the commendable faith of those before Jesus. Oh, we got it good. We have something better. And marriage is not the something better. So don't look to being married as your salvation. Don't look to being married to solve your happiness problems. And don't look to being single as securing that for you. And it kind of, it kind of sounds like Paul's got a low view of marriage here. You know, like, ah, marriage. You know, he even says a couple of places, I wish everybody could be single, <laughs> like me. But it's not a low view to marriage. Because you see there in verse 27, are you bound to a wife? That sounds very negative to us. Because some of you are thinking ball and chain. Uh, are you bound to a wife? This is a high view of the marriage covenant and commitment. What he's saying here is, this is a commitment and a covenant you don't back out on. It sounds like Jesus in Matthew 19, when the Pharisees are trying to trip him up and look for a loophole to get out of marriage. And Jesus says, what God has brought together, let no man separate. And the disciples say, well, we're not getting married then. <laughs> That's too hard. I need an out. And then Jesus says, well, not many can do that and keep your heart pure. So there's this God-designed, intense human experience that he gives us as a gift where you are on a journey to something better. Remember the call of Abraham in Hebrews 11? I'm going to give you a promise, but you're going to be in a land and you're going to sojourn in this journey to the promise. 
and you're not going to feel at home, and it's not going to be easy because it's not supposed to be, and you're going to yearn. You're going to yearn for my promises. And he's designed it, this intense human experience where you get to have a partner and a friend on the journey. That's the beautiful side of what Paul's talking about here. You get a partner and a friend. Not, a, not an easy task, but you get a partner and a friend to sojourn with. And it's intense because of the intimacy. It's intense because you know this person better than anybody. And you're getting to know this person better than anybody. Keller notes, your spouse can heal wounds better than anybody else. They, they can reverse and help you heal wounds that you brought to the marriage quicker and better than anyone. But they can also cut you the deepest. And so there's this power of truth in love that we've been given, and it's a gift. And Paul is saying, reality check here, look, the grass isn't greener. Marriage is a big deal, and it's a good thing. Don't look somewhere else for your happiness, and don't look to your marriage to be your happiness. If you're bound to a wife, don't look to be single. If you're single, don't look to be married. Don't look to that as something better. All right, verse 27 and 28. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. These two sinners on a journey together. Okay? You hear that? Two sinners on a journey together. Hoping for the same something better. Hoping for the same promise. It's a human experience. Marriage is difficult. There's worldly troubles that come with it. And we'll talk about the anxieties in a minute. But marriage is difficult. There are inherent difficulties that come with two sinners with different backgrounds that have to live together, be together, help one another out with different interests, different expectations, different dreams, different needs, different weaknesses, different strengths. It's difficult. It is. Every marriage is difficult. Now, Ben has mentioned, and I think Scott, and I probably mentioned it before too, this um, phrase, you know, that some of us struggle especially with difficult marriages. Um, and when he says that, I'm sitting there thinking, well, who's he talking about? Uh, I want to bring some clarity to that. And so, who, who struggles with these difficult marriages here at Crosspoint? And so what I decided to do was I jotted down a list of those of us that have difficult marriages. And I just wrote them down here. So let me, let me run down this list real quick. I want to bring some clarity to what this means. Number one, Brad and Christy Cardwell. Difficult marriage number one. <laughs> number two, Every other marriage at Cross Point. I wasn't about to throw anybody else under the bus. I can throw me under the bus, but not you. Every marriage is difficult. I think some of you wonder, maybe it's because you don't hear from me as much, but I think sometimes you wonder if Christy and I don't have a difficult marriage. And if you think that's because you don't know us very well. 
the Hindenburg is not majestically and magically floating at my house. <laughs> it went down in flames a long time ago. <laughs> First four years of our marriage, two compliant children who were people pleasers were married. For four years, not one argument, not one fight, not one frustration. I just keep her happy, she keeps me happy, everybody's happy, 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 happy. And then life happened. He places fertility, infertility in front of us. He places a difficult job for me in front of us. And all of a sudden, we can't people please enough. And we have to come to grips with the fact that marriage was difficult. There were things that I didn't like about Christy, and there was a lot of things she didn't like about me that were frustrating. And we weren't equipped for that because we were peace faking and we were just pleasing, pleasing, please, 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 keep you happy, I'm happy, you're happy. And so the Hindenburgs, it's fallen a long time ago at my house. The, the hardest years of our marriage have been the last three. Now, listen, they've also been some of the best. Some of the most sanctifying growth years in our marriage have been the last three. But they haven't been the easiest or the funnest. I wonder, what did we expect coming into marriage? What did you expect? Did you expect that these notions that you had these dreams, these romantic ideas, that that would just sustain you and keep you happy? And I think when we do that, we set ourselves up for the same frustration and disappointment that we've probably all already felt, no matter if you got married last weekend or if you got married 60 years ago. We've all experienced that disappointment and frustration in a difficult marriage. But we don't want others to see it. And what I hope today is that we just let go of that. Everybody is in a difficult marriage, and if yours is especially difficult right now, you are not alone. There seems to be this magical line between the corner of that building and this building, and then from the blacktop to the smooth concrete in the other building. And it's this magical line where when you step across it, hi, everybody, we're fine. <laughs> but I can see you walking on the blacktop, and it's... And then you step across that line and the spouse and kids that you just bit their head off is going, what happened? We, what is that? We don't want anybody, we want everybody to think it's okay. We're fine. I mean, look at what you post on Facebook. I, I don't see many of you, including myself, post anything on Facebook. It's 2 a.m., mascara running, she's crying and I'm yelling. Uh, we just had a fight. Here's a picture. <laughs> we don't do that. Why don't we do that? Because we really just want everybody to know that we're okay. And we don't want anybody in on the struggle. And we don't want to admit, we don't want to admit that we're two sinners on a journey together. And we don't want to admit that it's hard or it's difficult. When I was talking to Ben about this, few weeks ago he sent me a picture Will you put that picture up there what Facebook sees and what really happened 
This is us. I mean, we've all done it. I've done that. But now listen, if you are experiencing a sweet season in your marriage right now, I don't, this isn't cold water, really. You keep, keep on keeping on. Enjoy the sweet season in your marriage. Keep doing your three date nights a week and posting it on Facebook. We're just real happy for you. <laughs> we'll, we'll like it. But we're, we're mad at you. We, we, we like it, but we know we're not experiencing that, and so it's hard. But um, seriously, though, if you are experiencing a sweet season in your marriage, great. It's not all bad. Enjoy that as his grace. Enjoy that. But don't be fooled into thinking that it doesn't require the same work. Don't be fooled into thinking that somehow the Hindenburg is magically just floating again. It takes work when two sinners are on this journey together. And it takes an eternal perspective. Look at verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning... And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy goods as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. It takes an eternal perspective. What does he mean by this? Have a wife, but act like you don't. Mourn, but don't act like you're mourning. Rejoice, but you're not really rejoicing. You're in this world, but you're not of it. You're dealing with it, but you're not. All of those things he listed are temporary. Marriage is an intense human experience, and hear this, marriage is temporary. So you live with this perspective. I am married. I am faithful. I am committed, and I'm doing the work, and it is difficult, but I have this perspective that this is not eternal. This is a temporary gift to sanctify me, and according to Ephesians 5, put the gospel on display for children and others, that this shows Jesus and his church, this pursuit of a people and this following of him. And there's this beautiful picture that's played out in the gift of marriage. But it is human and it is difficult, but it is good. And it's a beautiful picture. But it's not to something better. And I wonder if a lot of our problems, a lot of our frustrations, a lot of our discouragement in marriage is that we expect something from each other that we're not supposed to. That not, we're not enjoying together who he is and what he's done. But we're expecting this marriage to be my ultimate source of comfort and peace and happiness. And that is ill-placed expectation. Because it's something that's temporary. Your marriage, I've heard this phrase in a movie, he completes me. She completes me. Not so. Not so. What completes you is a finished work. What completes you is an eternal love. This is a temporary gift, and it is difficult, and it is wonderful all at the same time. Don't look to marriage for the source of your happiness. Verse 32, let's get to these anxieties. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the, the married man is thinking about his, how to please his wife. 
the unmarried woman thinks about, thinks about the things of the Lord, the married woman thinks about how to please her husband. And here's what Paul is setting up for us, is this vicious cycle of selfishness. Ah, gosh, you got to be happy, because if she's happy, I'll be happy, and then we'll be happy, and happy. Happy, happy. That's the focus. i got to be happy. She's got to be happy. Fed, clothed, house, car. Ah, we got to get happy here. And that's an anxiety. It's a worldly anxiety. And same for the, for the wife. Is he happy? I need to be happy. I need to make him happy so that I'll be happy, so that we'll be happy, which really is I want to be happy. It's this vicious cycle of selfishness versus what he says here, pleasing the Lord. This is as therapeutic as it'll get today because I'm no therapist. But when this has landed on me, I have realized that in the last several years, I have been expecting Christy to be the ultimate source of my happiness. When I have thought, I'm not getting the admiration or the encouragement that I need. And I expect that to come from her. And I am selfish. And I have placed unfair expectation on her to be that for me. When that's not her role, is to just keep me happy. But when I say to myself, when I'm the most frustrated in our marriage, when I'm the most discouraged, disappointed, what spoiled is a better word probably, when I am in that place, I've begun to ask myself, Brad, what pleases the Lord? As you're pouting, driving to work, as you're frustrated, disappointed, needy, I've started asking myself, what pleases the Lord? And it does something to me where it's like it transports me. I don't know. That may be a nerdy word to Star Trek, you know, where beam me up, Scotty. It takes me from this place to that place like that. And I find myself transported from this sea of selfishness where I am the center of everything. And when I ask that question, what pleases the Lord? I am jerked out of my selfishness. I am placed in an eternal perspective. What pleases the Lord? Oh, man. If you've been here at all this summer, you know what pleases the Lord. It's impossible to please the Lord without faith. Faith pleases Him. And this is the statement that none of us want to hear. I don't, I don't want to hear it, but it, I think it's right here. He wants more for my faithfulness than He does for my happiness. He's, he's wanting me to be faithful more than he wants me to be happy. He wants faithful because that's what pleases him. Faithful to a covenant that's difficult to keep. Married to another sinner. He wants me to be faithful, not just happy. He wants me to have faith when marriage is at its most difficult he wants me to have the faith to believe, Proverbs 18, 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Faith to believe, Ephesians 5, that marriage is a beautiful window into Jesus and his church. Faith to believe that marriage is sanctifying me for his glory. Faith to believe that I'm enjoying together something better in Jesus and in God living in a beautiful age with a friend 
sojourner friend, a partner, and a helpmate. Faith to believe that. Faith to endure the trials and the wounds from the one closest to me. Faith to believe that he works all things to our good and his glory, even in marriage. Faith not to rely or expect marriage to be the primary source for my contentment, my identity, and my happiness. Faith to believe that. The anxieties and the trouble of marriage can divide, he says, divide your interest and keep you from being devoted. As husbands and wives, we have submitted to an earthly, imperfect human experience. We're driven to humility in this thing. Perpetually reminded of my weaknesses so that I can be transformed, sanctified, and reminded that my primary purpose is to please Him and live for His glory and not please myself. He mentions here your interest being divided. Let me find it here. Verse 34. Interests are divided and the unmarried and betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. I want to say something to those of you who are single or single again. Uh, I see this in you. We, we have several folks at Cross Point who are single or single again. And, and I want to commend you in your faith and your faithfulness because... What I've seen in you, and I won't, I won't list everybody out, but I, what I've seen in you, without question, is a faithfulness to the things of the Lord. And some of you have come from some messy divorces or separations, and it's difficult, and it's painful, and yet in that mess, I see you being faithful to the things of the Lord, asking yourself how to please Him and not pining and whining about a marriage lost or a partner lost. And it's good. And I'm saying if there's a commendable list of heroes, those of you single and single again that are living that out, you'd be on that list of commendable faith. What pleases the Lord? And so we as married couples will learn from you. We have to ask ourselves, are we caught up in just trying to keep each other happy or are we thinking about the things of the Lord? Now, that's a broad statement by Paul, things of the Lord. But it's the something better. An advancing kingdom. New hearts transformed. My sanctification and yours what this church looks like and smells like to this community. Things of the Lord. But are we just consumed? That's what Paul wants here. He just doesn't, he wants these young couples not to become consumed by their marriage. Don't become consumed by it. Ask together, what pleases you, Lord? Where are you working? Where are you at? Where can we engage that? Where can we be spent together as a married couple? And for many of you, that right now, that's primarily your children. We'll talk about that in the third sermon. But don't be consumed by your marriage. And don't be caught up in that sea of selfishness. Verse 35. Look at that one more time. Verse 35. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any constraint upon you, but to promote good order 
and to secure your undivided devotion. What I hope a message like this does is it recaptures our devotion to the things of the Lord despite the difficult marriage that we're all in and that he would redeem the difficulties so that we are devoted once again. I forget. I need this every day when I wake up because I wake up thinking, how can I make Brad happy today? That's, that's what we do. And I need this to say, what, what pleases you today, Lord? What faith do I step out in? Faith to believe Ephesians 5. What Paul is saying here, you young couples that have asked about getting married, I just want you to know what you're getting into. I want you to know what marriage is and what it isn't. And we can make a God of good things. And I wonder if some of us in our heart have made a God out of our marriage. Good things. You can make a God out of good things. And marriage is good. And if you're enjoying it right now, wonderful. But don't make a God out of that temporary relationship, but a binding one for His glory and your good. But know what it is and know what it isn't. I want there to be good order and I want you to remain undivided. And next week, Ephesians 5, we'll look at what that order is. So why is it this way? Why is it difficult? Why is this human experience that we are in many ways called to with another sinner, this difficult and beautiful relationship of marriage, why? Because it reminds us of our need for Him. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Here's the encouragement. Here's where it comes full circle. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. It's been kind of a... This can be, come off as a Debbie Downer sermon. And I hope, hope it hasn't. I hope it's been a wake-up call and a realistic sermon. But I hope it's not been Debbie Downer <laughs> for you and your marriage. But here's, here's some encouragement. In light of 1 Corinthians 7, let's, let's listen to Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any comfort from your marriage, any comfort from participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. There's marriage advice that none can contend. <laughs> wow. Consider others better than yourselves. Man. Humility count others more significant. Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Watch this, verse 8, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
Do you see here Jesus submitting himself to a human experience? Not for his happiness, but for his faithfulness and obedience to the Father. So he subjects himself to a human experience. But he got it. He didn't fail. He, he, he nailed it. He got it right. This human experience. He was faithful to the end. Obedient even unto death. That's the fuel for your marriage. That's the reason you keep going and you stay committed. That's the reason you work hard in the difficult marriage. It's because he was faithful to the end. And we trust him. And we trust that he will do this work in us. If we humble ourselves and ask, what pleases you, Lord? We're going to take our supper now. And in, in, the, in this time of taking the Lord's Supper, I want us to examine our hearts. Check your dreams and expectations. Whether you were married last weekend or 70 years ago or... 20 years ago, check your dreams and expectations. What are you expecting? Submit yourself to one another. Broken and human, own your own selfishness. Are you faking it? Order your devotion and marriage. Order it. Let's pray and then we'll take the supper. Father, I pray that you would help us to examine our heart that we are trusting you and looking to you and not making a God or making an idol out of the marriage relationship or expecting our spouses to be what only you can be to us. I pray this gives us a, an encouragement in love, affection, and encouragement in submission, and encouragement in Christ to keep going even in an intense human experience of marriage. And we take this supper in faith that you'll continue to sanctify us and transform us for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.